The following podcast is an audio version of a live show that takes place daily on Crowdcast. To join our live audience, visit our Crowdcast website at crowdcast.io slash in lieu of fun. That's crowdcast.io slash in lieu of fun. So Mike, ever since you have, um, ever since I'm clicking the button, ever since you mentioned that you look like an eight year old boy, I can like not unsee it and looking at your photo. Um, anytime I'm very young looking. Yeah. I just like, I didn't like, I guess, but I hadn't like put that together. And now anyways, it is Tuesday, September 28th, 2021, 501 PM Eastern time. And it's a Mike Chase original dog shirt day. Uh, I think I fucked that up. Uh, yeah, I think it's a Mike <laughs> Chase day and an original dog shirt day. Actually, oh, yeah. my birth name, my it's she's actually right. My original birth name was Mike Chase original dog shirt. Right. <laughs> but it was hyphenated. Yeah, because it's, it's, it's a mouthful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, we are not allowed to have fun anymore. But we are allowed to, um, as I sent to Mike Chase today, make jokes about the FBI crime statistics. Yeah. <laughs> Murder's up 30%. It's shocking. Uh, and we're going to joke about it. So are some of my stocks. I, I, yeah. I have some stock picks <laughs> that are up He's 30%. Yeah. You're off. And right. Up is good, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm re I'm gonna retire because they are up. Today. Oh my god! So glad you're Actually, here, Mike. Today is not a good example of that, but yeah. What was the story I was gonna tell? Yeah, you're oh, gonna you're talk dormant. about the crime that your doorman has committed. Yeah. So we. That's gonna be the monologue today. Yeah. So Dorman one of the crimes. So one of the this is pretty great. So one of the uh, great parts about our apartment is somehow there is a twenty four hour real doorman, not like a virtual doorman, like they try to give you, like they're giving all the kids these days. This is like an actual human being, like is very bored for at least eight hours at a time, but they rotate. So you know. Anyway, uh, one of the new uh, one of the new doorman, who I will call. Um, Mike is uh, was <laughs> uh, yesterday I was leaving after doing the show and I noticed that um, there was an individual trying to turn into the corner corner turn into like our street and had missed the street entirely in their SUV and was just very slowly driving onto the sidewalk like at people that were like standing there and everyone is flipping out and kind of screaming. And like a lot of us are like standing. It was like, a, it's around a construction site. So there's lots of people around and just like really confused. And this person just seems like completely unperturbed and puts the car into reverse, almost hitting two bikes that are driving behind him. And I'm like, that guy looks a lot like my doorman, <laughs> but he's not on right now. Why is this guy here? Like that couldn't possibly be him. It must be somebody else. And so then there is this mysterious, very vague message from our management company saying that the doorman has been fired. The next day we get this message and I go down to get the, the goss from uh, from the from the other doorman. Like, what's going on? He goes, call well, yes, Chase. Yes. Yes. We'll call him Chase. And so Chase is like, well, Mike actually loves the marijuana and got completely baked 
and then fell asleep in the middle of the day on his shift like at one o'clock in the afternoon was just passed out with his head back in the chair and a number of people had to wake him up he then proceeded to eat somebody else's food in the building that had been ordered like so someone had placed an order and like the delivery got dropped off and he just like consumed one of the advantages to being the doorman that this part this is the funny part this is like the Cheech and Chong part it gets really dark so then all of a sudden so I guess Mike then proceeds to um go out to his car and fall asleep um for five hours um, and then wake up and drives over the thing. He comes back into the um, apartment building and goes into the package closet and he takes a giant butcher knife and he opens up four packages and takes their contents and then leaves. Um, and upon being called to be fired by the management company uh, this morning, apparently said, hello, is there a problem? <laughs> and, like, and so uh, anyway, that was my entertainment for the day. And my my brush, my brush with crime statistics. Um, and so, uh, no, this is a, I never tell the lies. I do not tell lies. I am terrible at Kate them. Kate couldn't make up this story. I couldn't make um, up the story. There's really not, the the best attempt I could ever have at making, at like the, the truth and lie story is, would basically be to take somebody else's story and try to tell it as my own. Cause I just like couldn't. I have to pretend, but I thought about this a lot. But anyway, but I had a, I have a federal crime question for Mike Chase based on this story, but he has vanished. Yeah, there's a bunch of federal crimes in there, right? Well, one, well, there's some marijuana one. crimes that don't seem very interesting. Yes, but no, I was talking theft, about the the, the theft of the mail package. Yes, crime. but we need Mike back to discuss this with him. I know. I don't know where he went. He's accepting and connecting. He's coming back. Um, but anyways, that was uh, that was my that was my exciting brush with crime statistics in my own backyard. Um, yeah. Well, I'm glad everyone is safe, and that the package thieving uh, doorman with the giant butcher knife attacked. Like right? Packages. Why? Why also was there a giant butcher knife like lying around? Yeah, I have no idea. Isn't that? One. Yeah. Um, so I really do like the part of the story in which like he just like food he like wakes up from his nap this is how i'm imagining it wakes up from his nap is very hungry and uh and stoned and like he's awakened by a delivery door. man yeah. dropping off food and he's like mana from heaven this is for me mike and like says eats he's it very all. here i don't see mike well he's in the chat no, hold on. I'm going to remove you, Mike, and bring you back in. Sorry. So I'm going to describe the question for Mike Chase. If he can uh, hear it. The, the, yeah, he can clearly hear. Okay. So if there, if the mail has already been delivered and it is being held by now the building management company uh, and the mailman steals it, but from the point of view of the U.S. Postal Service, it has already been delivered. Um, is it a federal crime oh, yeah. to rip it off? <clears throat> yeah, the statute specific. I mean, the, st the statute actually prohibits purloining and intercepting of mail. And I would say that per this is a combination. Is, by yeah. the way, a cut of meat, um, yeah. you know, like you can right. grill it. It's um, a cut of cat meat, actually. It's why they call it a purloin. <laughs> and it's delicious. 
I think. Yeah. Oh, really I just good. got that. I got it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm a dad, so like, you know, what am I going to do? Uh, but no, but yeah, the the, sta the mail theft statute prohibits uh, purloining and intercepting mail prior to it being delivered to its ultimate recipient, its intended recipient. So the 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 uh, the intermediary there of the uh, doorman, he doesn't get like dibs on mail. It's 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 very right. much. Right. I was yeah. trying to trying to figure out whether he had any good arguments here. So it's a good actually, example. It that's like a good. That's one of the earliest examples of criminal justice reform, though, is like the reduction in penalties from mail theft. I mean, mail theft was like one of the first like major capital federal offenses. You hang for mail offense? theft. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. And in in, in, in fact, it, it's one of the first crimes where. Uh, we tested this theory about whether or not you could refuse a presidential pardon. So one of the earliest people to get a presidential pardon was a male thief. And his cohort was uh, was sentenced to death and executed. And so he said, yeah, look, I don't think I should get a presidential pardon just because I'm well-connected and I have well-connected family. And he refused a presidential pardon for male theft and was Oops. sentenced to death. Yeah. I'm, mm -hmm. That sucks. So I have a, I have a, I have, for, I want to continue this for one quick second, which is, this is super interesting to me. This, like this line drawing around when, when like you can be accused of tampering with mail, um, yeah. because in, there are two things in the law that are, that one is the, is for the purposes of delivery for notice, there is the mailbox rule, which is like, yeah. literally if it's in your, in your mailbox, it like counts as being delivered. Right. right. So that's kind of obviously that's just for like civil procedure and notice. Oh, um, I mean, if it's in the senders, if it's in the senders mailbox, it's delivered. Right. Yes. I mean, the yes. mailbox rule in contract law is like, did I accept yeah. it and put it in my mailbox? Not did you right. ever get it? Right. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then so that's kind of interesting. And then uh, two is I'm kind of curious. It's like the for the purposes of when I am notified of having mail and like when they stop tracking is when my doorman signs for the package. And so then I almost and think of it, it and eats it. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I think you cannot argue that that the Thai restaurant owes you no, the, the, the Thai, Thai restaurant. Yeah. Because, you know, the doorman received it and consumed it. But my question is like, You're it would strike me as it would turn into a bailment. Like, you know, like where you kind of yeah. give something, no? Yeah, the, the problem with bailment, the problem with bailment is, you know, what's your right of recovery? <laughs> no, exactly. <But> no, <laughs> it, it, it was to sue. Just... <laughs> it's to sue yeah. the doorman for Thai food. Yeah, yes. that's your, yeah, well, yeah. Oh, no, but like to sue them for the federal packages. I mean, like, I don't yeah. know. I think that that's kind of, I don't know. I, there has to be, it's really, it has to be in the hands of the intended recipient. It has to be like the person. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, I mean, yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay. So yeah. here is the key question. Murders are up 30% year over year, 2019 to 2000, the biggest recorded increase in history. What's funny about this? Well, look, I mean, these are all murders that were supposed to happen in the previous year. Okay. I mean, these are like these these murders were due they just got postponed due to covid okay so that that's like that's these people were supposed to were supposed to die ultimately i think that's not funny what? It's true. Jesus. oh my god 
my god! All right, it's just hey, true. what do you what do you think no, is no, funny no, about no, a thirty? I don't think there's anything. No, but there's nothing. There's nothing funny about it unless you zoom out and you look at murders historically for the last ten years. And you look. What's funny is the people in Twitter bending themselves into knots to 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 say that like everybody's getting murder right now. If you zoom out and you look back, going back to two thousand, go back to two thousand, go back to two thousand and ten. Murder is like murder. Murder's way down, like way, way down, and and so I think like realistically, maybe we were artificially depressed in terms of like human nature. Human we nature just fundamentally. For a, a, well, that's a what lot I'm saying. Murders. I mean, when I say that these are people that were supposed to die in the previous year, the truth is that like that is human nature. Unfortunately, right? Are we going to eradicate murder? I think not. But the truth is that when you look at human nature in a, in a long curve, we're actually doing very, very well. And, 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 and I made the reference to the stock market earlier. The, the, reason, the reason that like, like right now, if you, if you go on to any financial show right in the morning, they're going to say, we're due for a correction. We're due for a complete pullback in the stock market. The only reason that they say that is because statistically, we haven't gone this long without a 5% pullback in the stock market. Now, when you have a pullback of 5% right now, you're still going to have a Dow at a ridiculously all-time high. And murder really fundamentally isn't all that different. So I don't think that the murder statistics are, are all that impressive. I think that there is some interesting stuff, which we've got some time. We'll talk about some of the other interesting stuff that's in the FBI crimes statistics. But I think in terms of murder, really what you fundamentally have is a bunch of people that are going to try and somehow say that... Uh, a Biden administration is responsible for people getting murdered or or that or they're going to say yeah, this took oh, place under the under the Trump administration. Yeah, right. Or you're going to say that or you're going to say that there's people that are going to say the Trump administration was responsible for it. You can't fundamentally turn these crime statistics into a political point. You're, you're not going to be able to do it if you tie it back to sort of the economic stressors that lead to this. If you look at if you look at just the ebbs and flows of of murder statistics it, you're not going to be able to make a political point out of it. It's just that people will try. They will try to say there's an erosion of human morals. They will try to say, you know, that there's some sort of systemic intervention that we need in order to prevent murder. But these FBI crime statistics really fundamentally, particularly with things like murder, don't actually tell us all that much. And there's a couple of other ghosts in the data that are responsible for that, too, that we can talk about as we go on. Ghosts of the dead murdered people? No ghosts in the data. I mean quirks in the data that that I think are I think create an unreliable. I, I think that I think that they Thanks create an unreliable it. result. Yeah. Yeah. No, so, you were making it. You were making a good joke that I that went over. <laughs> um, ben, go ahead. Do you have? Does any? Do either of you have something that you would recommend that I can link to for everyone to kind of look at? the to look at what that, that summarizes this in a reliable way well the fbi um, has a good site on it uh just the uniform uh crime statistic uh, uh but the, the uh there's a good uh data visualization of it oh mike beat me to it um uh, so i want to argue that the murders are actually a big deal and an interesting data point, which is that I, I don't remember this data in detail, so I'm going to make it up. Um, but it's pretty, what I'm describing is in general accurate. Uh, the 
murder rate in the United States peaked in 1993-94 and has been on a unbelievably sharp uh, and steady decline since then. Uh, and then all of a sudden, with a couple of blips, um, but it's been on like a 25-year decline. And then all of a sudden, last year, violent crime ticks up 6%. And murders go up pretty sharply. It seems to me that something is different uh, that is worthy of policy notice. Now, there's, in my view, only really two possibilities. One is the pandemic and the uh, the associated economic trauma, um, and the other is. Uh, the controversies over policing and what uh, Jim Comey described a number of years ago and got a lot of heat for calling the Ferguson effect, uh, whether you want to call it that or just say police have are, are backing off because of criticism uh, or there's some big change in policing going on, uh, uh, communities are maybe being less policed. I'm not sure there's two other macro explanations for a sudden dramatic uh, change in outcome. Uh, curious what either of you think about that and whether there, whether whether we should be looking to other explanations for this effect. Well, I, should we be looking to I mean, specifically when you talk about policing, I mean, you have to you have to have some faith that policing is a meaningful deterrent to homicides. Right. If we're focusing on homicide and you have you, you have to you have to assume that either stuffing more police into communities is going to deter murder or you have to believe that some fundamental change in the manner of policing is going to deter murder as well. Right. And no, you you you, you could um, merely assume, uh, for example, that the um, uh, that a, I mean, I, I think you can you can describe it a number of ways. One is a difference in uh, in policing. A num another would be a difference in uh, attitude toward policing and law enforcement and compliance in the wake of the scandals uh, of uh, gross police abuse and murder uh, with respect to uh, individuals um, um, and you know people of color. Um, another is some combined effect, but, but, but my point is that if you think about 2020 versus 2019, there are these two big things that are different. And some combination, you know, one of them is the pandemic and the economy. Yeah. The other is, you know, that we had this huge debate over policing. And then you see this big change in violent crime. I, I think it's pretty far-fetched to me to say, well, this is an, an effect that's unrelated to either of those. I think I think you're stabbing in the dark. Not and again, that is not a pun at all. And I will say it is not a pun because the majority of these homicides were with handguns. Okay, if they were knife deaths, then shooting stabbing in the, in the dark, dark would be a problem. Say. They're shooting. You're shooting in the dark. I, but I will say that I I think that this 
you know, criminal defense attorneys have been arguing about this for a long time because um, and public policy folks, you know, fo folks in the criminal justice reform community about how these FBI statistics are, are uniformly twisted and relied upon to make arguments that are sort of baseless and that you really can't define much. I mean, a great example is that if you look at if you look at the expanded homicide data, right, and you talk about the victim circumstances, right, uh, in which why did a person become a victim of homicide based on the data? Out of these, out of these, the top three, I will read the top three categories <laughs> and, and, and by, 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 by huge measure, the number one category is all instances where the facts provided do not permit determination of the circumstances. That's 135,000 of these, of these cases. The other, the next highest category is other arguments. And then the next category is other. Okay, then you get into robbery, gang killings, narcotics. But you're talking about several hundred thousand of these. The by the, the, the largest segment of these are divided into other, other where you can't determine the circumstances, and other arguments. This so, is exactly what I was going to ask. <laughs> it's it it. It, 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 this becomes a problem because people are just looking at the net effect. Oh my God, murders are up. What does the FBI know about those murders? By huge measure, they don't know much at all about them at all. Then you also have to look even deeper into the data, right? And 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 they have a ranking system. Okay, so when something gets classified as a as a homicide, there are oftentimes many many other crimes that are charged that don't become the principal crime that drives how this gets counted in the data. And so, in all likelihood, you you may find that there are homicides in which it, it, there are multiple defendants. There is some correction for that part of the data, but you may also find out that uh, these are arrests. You you may also find out that there are not convictions. And so, what does that what does that tell us about it? Um, what about conspiracies? What about felony murders? You know, th things along those lines that get baked into this data and make it a little bit confusing. Now, does that change the overall effect that murders are up or homicides are up thirty percent? I I don't know. I mean, there's still a lot of people that have been the victim of these violent crimes and have have unfortunately lost their lives but to but to draw conclusions uh or for the fbi to say that there's some policy prescription that can well, come they, out I don't of this think i the think the fbi is, has made any policy no they usually don't no in fact they're, they're they're usually explicit that they don't but sort of the subtle the subtle notion is that i i think for, for and look this may be the defense attorney's perspective i think the subtle notion has long been that more law enforcement will be better and more law enforcement activity will be the solution to increases in crime, even when they don't say it explicitly, because they probably know that they can't say that based on any uh, of the data. I think the notion is always, look, if we can stuff more law enforcement personnel into these communities, we crime will go down. So I want to really, so like, let's get into it. So I'm looking at, I just was kind of, while you were talking before, I was looking at kind of some of the data from, from this, and taking a look at it and trying to see where I could like uh, kind of um, deconfabulate it or get specific about what exactly was going on with all of these different variables. And it does not, it, what you said is exactly right, which is like, my big question was, is there any way to focus in on the amount of this that is domestic violence? Um, and yeah. it strikes me as like, especially, especially likely in 2020, in an incredibly, incredibly, incre in like, in like literally lockdown, like that there was an increase, I mean, in domestic violent homicides. And like, not that we should like, 
those are still homicides. They're just, my point is that the distinction makes a big difference in policing. That you're not gonna get fewer domestic violent homicides by putting more policemen on the beat. Like that's just simply not what's going to happen. I mean, well, I guess response time, if 911 or something is called is important. So like proximity and like things like that and available police forces. Like, but like generally speaking, just the mere presence of police in an area is not going to have a deterring effect at all. And so one of the things that really strikes me, strikes me about this data is that they don't specify that. And I really, and as you said, like, but why not? I just, it seems, it seems like these are completely, completely different numbers. Like with completely different, like with completely different, like policy directives. Like if, yeah, if you, if you figure that out. You're, you're right. I mean, if you drill into the data, you will see that they do have it broken out by the relationship to the, to the uh, offender. Um, and there is a significant, you know, statistically enough that you can see the segment of the data that is a girlfriend, a boyfriend, a husband, a wife, uh, or a or a daughter or a son. Um, however, I will say that this is again going back to the reliability and the ability to draw any kind of conclusions from the data. By by huge measure, the largest segment of victim relationship is listed as unknown. Hundred uh, over a hundred thousand of them are listed as unknown relationship. Now, does that mean that they didn't know each other? No, because we have another category for strangers, right? Where they know it was a stranger. Um, but there's a huge percentage in which this data is just not really telling us who the what the relationship is between the 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 killer and the and the person who who was killed. Okay, and so, so I, I think that's yeah. a totally fair point, but. I want to. I, I just pulled up the uh, aggregate uh, homicide uh, numbers over time. Mm -hmm. So this is the best data set we have on uh, murder body counts in the United States, um, because all local law enforcement is required to report incidents to the bureau for purposes of the uh, uniform crime data, um, and. I think, you know, what we see here is pretty interesting. So you have, as I remembered, this uh, uh, peak at almost 24,000, 23,000 uh, murders in 1993, 94, 93 actually is the peak. And then it comes down uh, with this rise right around uh, you know, the early aughts, a sort of gentle rise, but it actually comes down uh, to just over 12,000 in, uh, huh. in 2014. So it literally halves over the course of 20 years. Um, and then there's a two-year rise, um, which people will remember this is the period when uh, 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 there was that controversy in the Obama administration because uh, Comey uh, said the words, uh, you know, uh, talked about the possibility that there was a Ferguson effect. Uh, and then this startling rise between 2019 and 2020. 
Now, if you sum these two rises up, even with the decline in between, uh, that takes away literally half of the decline from the early 90s. And so I think it is fair to ask as a policy question uh, what, and I take your point, Mike, that the, that the, uh, uh, the data don't really answer this question. Uh, and I'm not saying the answer is more law enforcement, and I'm not saying the answer is, you know, greater incarceration. Uh, I do think the major explanation for the decline after 93 had to do with the waning of the crack epidemic, not with policy. But um, uh, I do think anybody if you're good, like, just as a matter of criminology, we need to be asking the question, because that's like 12,000 people. The delta between the high and the low is 12,000 lives a year. Uh, we used to think that was a lot of people before we started losing 2,000 a day to COVID. Um, and I do think it's worth asking, like, well, what were we doing differently in 2014 that... Uh, you know, made a, you know, made those uh, numbers different than they are today. I mean, you, you, I, I think that the smart money is probably on what were we doing? We were, we were in a time of relative, and again, this, I'm not saying everyone, but I'm saying of relative economic prosperity in the United States. If you look, if you if you look at the data where you do get into the homicides, where we actually can peg a uh, circumstance and the nature of the victim, the nature of the offender, we know that a, a a significant portion of them are burglaries. We know that a significant number of them are drug are, are drug related homicides. Those are both at their core economic. Uh, crimes when you think about it okay now now does every drug user does every drug distributor kill somebody no they don't um does every burglar kill somebody no they don't but when these crimes culminate in a homicide it, it is it, it is at its root an economic crime the person is there engaged in illicit activity um, that is of such a pitched nature that a person ends up dying because the underlying motivation is is to fill some economic need. Um, and so Do you know I think any cheese crimes that end in homicide, I, not zero, zero, <laughs> zero. But I will say that a well, federal it's very, if it is, it's a very long death of heart disease. Well, that, oh, okay. But that's a, that, that, that I would say is the most protracted crime of passion. And in that case, <laughs> the, in, in that case the killer, the killer is not the fromager. They did the, oh the, 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 the criminal, uh, is also the victim, I think in those cases. Yeah. But I, I, I mean, I think that like, I think I completely agree with Mike's point here. And I think that that's like, so even like you posing the question is what were we doing in 2014? is like i think exactly the wrong question because this like homicide that that assumes that the amount of homicide is completely in proportion to like the inaction or actions of like criminal criminal units criminal investigators or criminal enforcement and that or like law yeah so well, I don't think at, that's well, right no 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 but i mean but, go ahead but i i i want to reserve disagreement on that point 
Right. But I think that what Mike is saying and what I'm agreeing with is that, and when I said confounding here, I really mean confounding in like the very scientific sense, which is that these variables are completely overlaid and like, like economics or anything else in the real world, when you have some type of action or event and then thing, and then X, Y, and Z happen, you assume it's because of of like the of your intervention when in fact it could also be like the fact that like other world events happened in addition to your intervention and those are what kind of really account for the change right and so like to me it seems much more like law enforcement to me either presence or detection or new regulation or whatever seems to me to be much more like you have to get into the specific cause and environment of the crime. And if you're not doing that, you're just throwing bodies onto the street, like uh, like police bodies, like to, to do policing without, like, I just, um, yeah. So like, it just really strikes me that like, that, the, that there was an increase in detection and reporting of kind of, of certain types of deaths. Um, in 2014 and 20 to 2014 to 2016 and now there was probably i think a very like a really huge increase if we looked i would i would be i would bet a hundred dollars that there has been a disproportionate increase in domestic what we would call domestic violence or like um among these homicides and that they they account for a lot of it okay so i want to um I want to disagree with one of the premises there. It seems to me that you're detaching the policy environment from crime or from murder, except in the context of domestic violence. And my, I'm not sure that's right. We've had very substantial changes in policy over the last five years, they have not all gone in the same direction. So we have uh, this uh, uh, um, uh, very uh, brutal political environment. We have uh, a whole lot of economic deprivation that's been caused by the, um, uh, um, uh, the pandemic. We've had uh, a pretty significant uh, uh, debate about policing and uh, and uh, a lot of associated criminal justice reforms, uh, uh, much of which I very much support. And we've had as well uh, a functional decriminalization of a lot of low-grade drug use in much but not all of the country. Now, I'm skeptical that that is an explanatory variable because the, uh, uh, because the, the data do seem to be quite nationwide and they don't seem to correlate with uh, uh, areas of greater decriminalization. But I do think the policy environment matters. And I agree with you that the, the, everything's overdetermined, um, but I, I think the value of the field of criminology is to try to isolate some of those variables and and to try to figure out what policy interventions work and hurt. 
Yeah, I mean, look, I, I will say that just just from the 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 homicide cases uh, that I've uh, been involved in, um, and just to be clear, defense, you were involved in the in the conduct the, of those after homicides. the fact. Yeah, <laughs> after the fact as a as a criminal defense lawyer. Um, but I will tell you, the ones that I've seen in the courts, the ones that I've seen where you've had a robust opportunity to question witnesses, where you've had a robust opportunity to hear from um, you know, uh, social workers, therapists, uh, you know, forensic psychologists who've been able to look into the situations and then, you know, been able to watch, uh, police interviews and confessions and, and really sort of triangulate the data. The one area where this FBI statistics jibes with everything that I've seen play out in the court system is that these are overwhelmingly males. They're overwhelmingly male victims. They're overwhelmingly under the age of 30, and by 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 a lot, they're young people, oftentimes with underdeveloped, you know, brains. They're just they haven't aged, they haven't matured, and their impulse control is lower at that age. You know, you know there there are there are there are significant factors surrounding a young populace that you're not seeing this in people who are get an opportunity to mature into an adulthood. So, I mean, I think in terms of a policy prescription, uh, you know, aging the, powder. The, the, the data, the aging powder, <laughs> yeah, sure, if that was one solution. But the answer is give folks an opportunity to successfully reach adulthood um, with, with resources and a reasonable degree of economic security. Fewer um, men. And yeah, I guess you could say fewer men. Uh, no, I think you would say get men into a get men into a more stable environment in which they're not, uh, you know, they're not they're not they're not feeling compelled. They're not getting into these situations in which some sort of heat of the moment impulse causes them uh, uh, to, to have a violent confrontation. No, so I think the answer is you have to focus on you have to focus on the younger community and, and try and get them into adulthood uh, successfully and with a relative degree of economic security and that will that will that will address a significant percentage of these homicides. Um, OK, well, I was going to go to Ev, um, but uh, she has now uh, disappeared um, and I don't know. I'm going to and I'm having trouble reducing her. So I'm going to bring in Paula and Paula's question is very good. Hi, Paula. Hi. Um, so my question is, now that I've started law school, I'm like starting to see that some of the arguments that I come up with in my head, when I say them out loud, especially when like my professor makes me like talk them out, sound really fucking stupid. And I realized this when are, I was typing out a defense the are, other are day. Are you contemplating crime as a response to that? No, no, no. Like any professors at risk of homicide as a result I of love that? all of my professors. Um, yeah, I would advise you like, to leave. I would advise you to say that. And yes, that's a good. That's yes, good. Like they're it. all amazing. Um, but then I was like writing out a defense for a class and I like started writing it out and I had to like change my mind several times because some things like I realized if your client commits a crime as a result of a joke that went badly you're gonna sound stupid in court I think most of the time like some things when you say them don't sound good 
And maybe it's because I'm a student or maybe all lawyers go through that. Or maybe I'm not making sense because Kate's looking at me. No, I'm, I'm trying to understand what you're what you mean exactly. Like, do you mean like when you say like you're going to sound stupid in court if you say what? Like if you say like it was a joke went gone bad, like. It, like, right. Like I, I had one like it was like a case and it like was like supposed to be this person that was like taking revenge on their ex and like typing that out as an argument as a very lighthearted thing to do like sounded really stupid when I went to go write that as a defense. Well, it was supposed to be a lighthearted joke. Does that make well, sense? Well, look, I mean, so, sometimes you do have this play, it's, play itself out in 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 the court system where you do people do boneheaded things. Judges generally recognize the the, the boneheaded things. I mean, you have somebody. I, the best example I can think of is these public indecency cases or trespassing cases where you have somebody streak at a public sporting event, right? And and so the criminal defense lawyer has to go in there and just say, "Hey, look, this was a youthful indiscretion. It was really stupid." Um, oftentimes, judges judges will get that. Um, but here's another example, right? W which went the other way. Particularly the judges who are sitting in court with no robes. Or nothing under the robe. That's the more common uh, circumstance. Yeah. But but when you, when you, when you get to when you get to a case like the, the U.S. versus Bond case, this was like I, I got by the time it got to the Supreme Court, I think it was Bond versus the United States. But this was a case a couple of years ago. It was actually a chemical weapons uh, case, right? And but the whole notion was it was like a lover's quarrel, and a a woman decided to put like a chemical like an ir chemical irritant on a doorknob. Uh, of the of her husband's paramour, right, or something along those lines, in order to like get revenge, and she was charged, I love this case. Um, right, and she's charged under the Chemical Weapons Act, and it's like you're like, whoa, the statute's never intended to 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 to, to encompass that, and and so in a situation like that, if you're a defense attorney, you do need to go to the judge and you say, look, judge. You know, this was sort of like a heat of the moment thing. Passions were running high. You know, there was some infidelity here. And this was not intended to be like a, a poisoning case or a, a case in which somebody was going to die. She was just trying to poison her a little, like kind of like irritate her skin. And like, you're like, wow, I do need to moot these arguments because if I don't moot that argument, I am going to get laughed out of court if I say she only meant to poison her a little. Um, and, 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 and so, but I think that that, based on what we've been talking about today, we've been talking about these cases that escalate and they get worse. You might have a homicide case, uh, right, in which it's an accidental poisoning case or something like that. And I think FBI tries to call those out and they say they exclude some of those cases. Um, but 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 you're you're right that as you peel back the onion of most crimes, not just these silly ones you're talking about, even these homicides that are reflected in this data we've been talking about today, people by and large, in the moment, have a justification for their actions. As crazy as that justification may be, if you sit down and talk to a person, no matter how heinous the crime or how ridiculous the crime is or how ludicrous it looks in hindsight, we like to think of people as irrational actors, but they are rational actors. It's just that in hindsight and with cooler heads, things oftentimes look ridiculous. So that that's why I like our court process, but at the same time, it's a problem because what you're touching on is these defenses may not play well with a judge. Some of this will, stuff never hears the light of day. I will also day. point out that sometimes the truly asinine defense that your law professor will make you sound uh, feel silly for saying uh, works with a jury 
people forget this, but the Twinkie defense yeah. uh, in the case of uh, Danny White, who murdered Harvey Milk and as well as the mayor of uh, 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 San Francisco, Willie Moscone, worked. Uh, he successfully argued to a jury that he had uh, gone temporarily insane by eating too many Twinkies. And I, I submit you have not said anything that stupid in your law school class to date. So keep ben, working on it. it. Ben, sometimes you know. it works with a judge too. Let's not forget about affluenza. That's true. Okay. Affluenza. Yeah. 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 Right. So, I mean, like, yeah. I really, I do think that, I do think that it's all about the presentation. And like, I mean, if you present document, I mean, which he did about, it wasn't just the Twinkie defense. He didn't stand up and say it like that. Like, that's not how he said it. He actually was like, there was a spike in blood sugar. It made him crazy. It created this like kind of, it made him irrational. He, he wasn't in his right mind. Uh, and like, but the, like, I just really want to point out that we joke about it as like the Twinkie defense and it sounds really stupid, but that was, that wasn't exactly, that wasn't how it was presented. It was actually That's kind correct. of pack, packaged in like a way to, to like exactly to kind of like, don't make like, but, but generally speaking, Paula, cause your other question was like, how can I be funnier? Do not, do not be, do not like be funny in court. Like generally Never. speaking, really mm -hmm. do not do it you are like doing kind of the most serious thing uh, to like kind of like and in your role there as an attorney or a clerk or a judge or like whatever you end up being is like basically it is like really there's just like not a place to make jokes and there's it's, one yeah. circumstance where you can be funny in court during trial in my experience and believe me i have a strong desire to be funny in court and i have to fight it really hard the only time that it works is when you're struggling with technology i think in my experience the only time to be funny is when something is technologically going wrong and you're trying to fill a little bit of awkward space other than that do not joke about the merits of any okay. case ever ever <laughs> i wasn't beating you up paula i'm just like saying i that was not like i understood that you meant on twitter i just was also just adding really like, for the record as like a good piece of advice like because like mike comes on and is always hilarious and not like, today it, not today this is no like, today you're very is... sad um but, <laughs> but generally speaking is like uh is is that basically that uh that this is a um that this is that that i was just kind of saying as a general rule okay ev is back let's with a mask on it hello ev hey, hey. i you hear yeah, you're kind of muffled. Yeah, yeah sorry. Uh, I was wondering, uh, how, do you, how do you think judicial statistics are? Do you feel like judicial statistics are important or gives a weird uh, understanding of reality? And what can we learn from statistics? And we shouldn't work on having more statistics? Uh, those kind of questions. Great. It, 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 is, it is the old thing, right? Is that statistics are like, whatever you know what do they say like people say 70 70 percent of statistics are made up you know yeah. or whatever well, you always see this like recurring joke i, I mean the, the the truth is we use them in sentencing memoranda all a lot because we're talking about the question of recidivism i think that is a good example of where statistics can be very valid in informing a judge is to say like judge like if i've got a defendant and he's 54 years old 
and he's he's married now and he's got a college education and he's got reliable employment waiting for him when he gets out of prison and he went the first 50 something years of his life without ever committing a crime his likelihood of recidivism is like extraordinarily low sadly if i've got somebody who's 19 and they've committed uh, a, a a crime, you know, a violence, uh, they got into a bar brawl and they beat somebody to death. The likelihood is that when they get out, if they're in their 20s and they get out, their likelihood of recidivism is much higher, right? Because that's just that's just statistics. Now, sometimes they don't cut your way and so you don't cite them in the uh, the sentencing brief. Um, but but the recidivism data that the United States Sentencing Commission has released has 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 proven to hold true and been proven itself right for decades, right? And, and now there are good things and bad things about that because a judge can say, look, you're in that category of somebody who's gonna you know, repeat offense, so I'm just gonna keep you locked up for a while. Um, so there's good and bad, but I do think that by and large, I've been able to use recidivism statistics to shave years off of sentences. Uh, uh, and I think a lot of other defense lawyers have had a similar experience. I mean, statistics are just about, I mean, like anything, they're just, they are only reflections of what you're, what you choose to measure. And so like defining what you're going to like, so how you, what you put in and what you take out are, are just as reflective. I mean, so like, I mean, yeah. So Ben. Yeah. I just want to say anybody who is interested in criminal justice reform uh, should, uh, pray for more and better statistics because um, uh, the only way you get the ability to de-incarcerate large numbers of people is to convince uh, uh, voters that they are not threatening. And that is Mm -hmm. fundamentally a data project. Yeah. Um, and the, yep. you, you need the data. I mean, Mike is making that point about how you argue for a specific client. But my point is much broader. If you want to if you want to release a whole lot of people from prison or not incarcerate a whole lot of people uh, for marijuana possession or distribution, you really need to be able to argue that. Uh, uh, th- there is not a high correlation between the use and possession of marijuana and uh, other crime. And that was a case that was made over a long period of time um, and I think made pretty successfully uh, and it required data to do it. And I think there is a uh, similar uh, effect with respect to de-incarceration mm-hmm. of large numbers of uh, 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 African-American men that, you know, you can look at data and see disparities in the way certain crimes are sentenced and you need data about those crimes in order to do it. And so I would just say the crime statistics, uh, they're always a news event when they happen but this is an uncommonly rich source of data and we use it for all kinds of public policy announcements and it's super, super important. Yeah, totally. Um, Mike, what is the what is the one takeaway that we should think about besides kind of the things that we've talked about today? Is there something that we've missed in like kind of thinking about these statistics? Do you think that there's going to be the fear that like we're, we're gonna like over rotate on them um, 
like that there's going to be just this massive i mean i don't know what are you thinking i i, I think that the, i think that the data about crimes that are occurring are extremely latent in other words by the time that you can figure out what the data is telling you it is far too late to to really to do anything about it right uh, you know love him or hate him tom cruise made a great movie called minority report where you know we were living in an imaginary world in which we had precogs that could tell us about a crime that was going to occur before it occurred and we could stop it and there's all sorts of ethical problems related to that but i think by the time that we're actually looking at this data uh the circumstances that have given rise to these have passed i think that they've passed and yes we are seeing an increase now we saw a precipitous drop since 1994 okay that's all good i think that i think that the more important statistics that we should be focusing on are what do we do about it right what what kind of what kind of uh, results do we get from those people that end up then now passing through the criminal justice system the best statistic that i will i will cite in every brief that i ever write for the rest of my life is the statistic about um the meaningful impact of length of incarceration after 12 months of incarceration after one year of incarceration length of sentence has effectively no impact on recidivism period now whether a person is going to commit a crime again or not commit a crime again after they've served that 13th month it's the same if they serve 48 months it's the same if they serve 72 months you know you can you can take a huge chunk of a person's life or a year of their life and get effectively the same result from imprisonment I think that should inform us more because it teaches us about what we should do with the people that we're going to be sending to prison, the people we're going to be, you know, depriving of their liberty, um, justified or unjustified. Um, and and then also we're going to see another statistic, which is about the effect of education while people are incarcerated. So people who leave prison after having any modicum of education, whether it be through, you know, effectively a remote college program you're going to see another precipitous drop in recidivism. So I think that we should be looking at those statistics in terms of crimes that have already happened. I think that they're, I think that they're a product of the past and, and, and we always have to look at increasing economic opportunity and prosperity and increasing education and economic stability and community, community attachment. And you're going to see a drop in crime. That is, that is my view. And I don't think the FBI statistics tell us about that one way or the other. So Ev has a really great follow-up question. I'm just going to read it just because it's easier and running out of time. She asks, uh, that is actually a perfect follow-up to your, to your point, which is, are there any stats we should not collect? And I kind of, I think this is a fast, I think that's kind of fascinating. Can you think of any? I like information. I think we should collect every statistic there is. I think context is what is most important. Now we say statistics. I think what we're really talking about is data, right? I think we should capture as much data as possible. Statistics are how we communicate data. Statistics are sort of, yeah. and, and you know what I think probably my problem is that I think that we take, we cram too much data into pie charts. <laughs> that is the problem. Pie charts also, lie to you all the time. We also isolate yeah. individual statistics instead of looking at aggregate patterns of data. The, yeah. the murder chart that I showed over time looks very different if you look at it in isolation, then if you look at it in the context of the overall crime, same chart for overall violent crime over time, if you look at it over a long period of time, if you look at it over a short period of time, and people, as you pointed out at the beginning of the conversation, people want to take, take these 
data events and draw very quick policy conclusions from yeah. them. Uh, Joe Biden sucks, Kaylee McEnany says, because crime's on the rise. And she deletes the tweet when she actually is pointed out to her that this is a rise that took place while she was in the yeah. White House. That's right. um, you know, on the other hand, um, people want to want to draw very specific policy conclusions from it that it won't support. Um, I think a holistic, you know, and we one area that we have very bad data is on gun related matters uh, because, you know, Congress doesn't let the executive keep uh, gun prevalence data. So, I mean, there's a, um, you know, the problem is not insufficient the problem is not too much data the problem is insufficient data i i would just say as one parting note statistics in large part gave us the crack powder disparity and that has been ruinous absolutely I mean, they, ruinous yeah and, yep. and i was so gonna I, also I would, say like yeah there's yeah. like and there's all types of insinuations from that like the crack baby academic uh like the crack baby, the false crack baby pandemic, all of the, all of that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I was just thinking. No, no, it much, was a great, how much, was, how much I hate the crack baby um, myth. Like, and yeah. they're just like in general, I just, yeah, the, the, the largely understood to be true things that are completely false. And like, I just can't get it, like correct those often enough. Um, we are going to leave it there. Mike Chase, you're a great Canadian. This was hilarious. Uh, this was yeah, this was, was my was funniest performance. Screamingly funny. Yeah. Uh, we'll be back. <laughs> no, I um I actually did uh I did really I, I had a great time. I always have a great time when you come on the show. This was really great. I think that there's um I don't know. I would be interested to see what's what, if anything, kind of happens in in response to this so I, I mean and then we'll have to have you back on because maybe there'll be more federal crimes for you to write about yeah i think the big the big story here is that cheese crimes were relatively flat uh piracy issues relatively flat um there were there was no notable spike in uh uh um in uh boarding ships uh uh illegally or um there are federal crimes happening in my apartment building probably right now apparently so like private private walrus bar bartering remains right. at historic lows um, um i think smuggling dead muffin smuggling <laughs> all this proves that not enough people have bought mike chase's book how True. to become a federal criminal. <laughs> Y'all need to buy it oh, yeah. and learn so your good. lessons properly so that next year um, we can we can jack up those numbers uh, in the FBI. The, they'll have to start a new walrus uh, crimes um, for, just for section. Us. Yeah, that's right. Um, okay, we will be back exactly 20... <laughs> Wait, 23 hours from now? 23 hours yeah. from now. And until then, Ben? We don't have fun anymore. but And we don't even have an uptick in walrus bartering in the data. So we'll have to be satisfied with increased murder.